Hey everybody, and uh, welcome back to 80s Horror Films. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and we've got a fun one. Um, I'm a little sick, so if my voice sounds a little different than it normally does, that's because it is. But um, I am here with a special guest. Uh, so last the the last episode, I had Madeline Deering, who's my uh, co-host for 90s Horror Films, replacing him for Rebecca uh, but today I have my host for co-host for um, uh, horror film lovers. Please welcome Michael McGlynn. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, I'm doing good. Sorry, everyone who's watching. I'm, I'm not as pretty as all those other ones he named off, but I mean, I'm better than chopped liver. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's okay. You're pretty in your own way. How about oh. that? We'll say that. Um. <laughs> so, uh, yes, we're here to talk about the 19. 19- 83, I want to say. I think that's what I saw it as. Uh, film Mausoleum. Um, and uh, Mausoleum uh, is something I never even heard of. I saw it on Tubi. So it was 1980s. Um, any horror film that I see in the 80s, I I plan it for a potential episode of uh 80s horror films e- even if i've never seen it which this was a first time watch for me and it sounded like it was yours too right yep it sure was had you heard of this movie at all no i i, I went into this movie completely blind um and uh I, I will say pleasantly surprised um i overall actually really enjoyed it overall i did too i mean there was some really bad campiness like some really bad campiness. We'll get into that. But then, but like, you know what made up for it was I did not know John Carl Beekler did the uh, special effects for this movie until after I saw the credits and saw that. And I was like, ah, <laughs> John Carl Beekler, like one of my favorite, uh, uh, you know, uh, special effects guys. And he's the director of like one of the best Friday the 13th movies, in my opinion. Um, Friday the 13th part seven, you know, um, but you know he um he did a lot of the special effects I believe for the hatchet for hatchet too as well so for the first okay. at least the first first hatchet I don't know if he joined it for the other ones or not um you're a fan of John Carl right oh absolutely um and again I was with you I had uh, actually I didn't even pick up on that I didn't catch the end credits on that one um uh but uh, you uh, tell me that and also about mentioning that he did it for uh, hatchet as well I was like you know what. Yeah, um, I can see that. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously with the two different generation gaps uh, between the, the films, obviously, but it was like the style of the gore and the lengths that both uh, the Hatchet and Mausoleum uh, both took. Oh, yeah, I can definitely see uh, same, uh, some of that same uh, vibe. So uh, I'm not overly surprised uh, to hear that, actually. <laughs> yeah, he, um, uh, he's like, Everybody kind of talks about Tom Savini so much, and I think Tom Savini is was great, you know, and he's definitely a very big inspiration for a lot of special makeup effects for people. But when, you, when it comes to like eighties gore and shit, like John Carl Beekler was like the guy to go to, you know, and uh, so we'll talk about some of the gore in this movie in a little bit. Um, I wanted to give a little background on it, so here we go. Um, here's a little background. Um, so I looked it up and, um, I saw that it's directed by a man named Michael Dugan. Michael, um, 
uh, was the uh, director of a movie called Super Seal. I'm not making that up. It's <laughs> some kind of G-rated kids movie about a, uh, a, a seven-year-old Marianne finds a baby seal who is abandoned, so she decides to take action into looking after him. Uh, she takes him to her grandfather, Cap and Zach, who runs SeaWorld, uh, to help look after him. Now, she, he says he who runs SeaWorld. I'm not sure if this was a SeaWorld like, paid-for thing or if that's just a, another company called SeaWorld before like the real SeaWorld took over because it was 1975. So... Um, their seal, whom they call Captain Nemo, gets into all kinds of trouble and goes on incredible journeys. It's a musical and a family comedy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to laugh. I'm just here thinking, like, you know, uh, just to be inside that director's mind, like, you know, doing that movie and then be like, you know what? I think after this, I'm going to do this horror movie called Mausoleum. And uh, if you uh, see Mausoleum, you're like, yeah, it's a big deviation from the whole uh, family musical comedy uh, route, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, um, back in the 70s and yeah, and whatnot, um, a lot of genre directors were getting into family family movies. Um, uh, Sean Cunningham, who did uh, Friday the 13th, um, he directed uh, a movie, I think it was originally called like Manny's Orphans or something, but it was like a, a baseball movie you know, baseball kids movie, but like not something like bad news bears type stuff. Right. That was not like, and then he decided really what, what was going to get him uh, money was horror, you know, because that's what made him money to begin with before he decided to get into, um, because he had done last house on the left as well. He produced that. So, um, but he didn't direct <laughs> it. Wes Craven directed that movie and, uh, and whatnot, but like that movie sort of, you know, I think I got him a lot of flack and he decided not to do horror for a little bit, did do a couple comedy, you know, family comedies so he could get some investors and then went right back to horror, you know. So some people do family stuff as well as horror. Um, Some people do Christian movies and then they do horror, you know, oh. kind of weird, you know. No, it is, but I mean, hey, I mean, whatever uh, gets those uh, investors in your corner uh, so you can uh, do your passion projects, because it definitely kind of sounds a little bit uh, uh, like that, with especially with the way that it was uh, presented. Uh, it almost kind of sounds like he does the uh, family movies uh, for the money and for the investors uh, so he can get uh, so he can get that money to uh, make his passion, which are horror movies, which I really wouldn't be overly that shocked about. <laughs> Right. Um, uh, after Mausoleum, he directed a movie called Raging Hormones. Uh, <laughs> this was like uh, from 83 to 99. Um, and uh, he was also a writer of one episode of Beavis and Butthead. So, and he wrote one episode of Santa Barbara, the uh, soap opera. So, he's done a few things. Um, recently, he uh, was the writer of a TV miniseries called The Adventures of Turkey Dude. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just I kind of want to figure out what that's about. Um, <laughs> interestingly like enough, uh, the guy who plays Turkey Dude is Gene Snisky, the uh, wrestler. WWE Raw wrestler. So... 
<laughs> oh, uh, I got a small little fun uh, story about that. Actually, um, it was a. Uh, it was actually last year. Um, I was at a uh, Maryland uh, Comic Con uh, that was being run by uh, uh, Matt Burns, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, one of my buddies he runs a uh, he runs a, a horror uh, like you know a movie uh, prop uh, memorabilia shop. I always buy a lot of stuff from him, like Gremlin props, etc. His name's uh, Scott Hewitt, uh, and Scott's a big uh, you know uh, friend to a lot of the uh, local uh, celebrities and stuff. And Gene Snitsky actually lives in the Pennsylvania uh, area, well, like over that little triangle area, uh, like where like uh, uh, West Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania aren't like you know that far apart from from each other. Um, and he was actually at his stand when I went over there to see him at the Comic Con, and I I don't know what it was like you know like just like the way he was acting and the way he was just chilling. I just didn't put two and two together. And I went over and I said, hi, hi to Scott. And, 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 and I looked at the dude on and I was like, Hey man, I, I, I was like, Hey, has anyone ever told you, you like uh, that dude from uh, WWE, uh, God, what's his name? Uh, uh, Snitsky, I think. Um, uh, and, and he's like, yeah, no, no. No, no one's ever uh, said that to me. And then, well, this is guy who leaned over. He was like, "Mike, that is Gene Snitsky." <laughs> what? Oh yeah, Scott. Uh, he would then uh, lean over to me after I said that, and he goes, "Mike, that is Gene Snitsky." <laughs> like, I was like, oh my god! I, but you know what? Nicest, sweetest dude in the world. I, right. I, I, uh, and he has such a great sense of humor. Um, Later, like you, know, uh, like Scott introduced us and everything, and later on during the show, we crossed paths again. And he saw, goes, "Wait, oh my God, you look like this dude I know. His name's like Michael McGlynn, I believe was his name. You look <laughs> just like that dude." I was like, "Okay, I deserve that." But uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to get off topic. It's just, no, it's fine. That's funny. Um, I, you know, I bring people up, and I'm not really into the WWE or or the wrestling or anything, so I don't really. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have even come up to him and said that. I just would have said, hey, bro, what's up? You know, kind of thing. You know, that's it. Like, I wouldn't have been like, oh, you look like that guy. I would have been like, hi, you know. Uh, I would have probably said, you look like a wrestler. And he would have <laughs> been like, yeah, I get that a lot, you know, or yeah. whatever, you know, kind of thing. Or I never get that, you know, um, whatever. So anyway, um, yeah, so turkey dude. So next time you see him, be like, hey, you remind me of that turkey dude. <laughs> you know, apparently that's who he plays in this. Um, I'm not kidding. Um, so Michael Dugan did that. Um, the writers of the film, and I say writers, I don't know why it took like three people to write the script, but all right. Robert Barrick, um, that's this is the only thing he's done. Uh, Robert uh, Madero, um, he had done. Uh, a movie called Black Generation. Um, it's a uh, drama music movie. Um, White Hot, starring Robbie Benson and Tani Katan. Um, yeah. All Tied Up. Uh, Camp Utopia, which um, I know of because it's from uh, Tempe. They they put it out, and a movie called Battered from 2014. Hey, uh, Tony Katane was actually one of my uh, favorite uh, supernatural movies, uh, Witchboard. Nice. Yeah, I have Witch Trap. I need to get Witchboard on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, like, like 
that was like a, was like under the radar kind of gems. Um, I've, you know, but what the funny thing is too, like you know, I'm actually kind of really enjoying that we're actually doing this like right now. The how the fact that we both went into this movie blindly and now we're kind of learning about this because like you know, with you saying like you know, writers like multiple writers, I was like, once again. Just like when you talk about the special effects, like, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. Like, not that the story was bad. It really wasn't bad, but it definitely felt, it, it, it definitely a little bit of that too many hands in the cookie jar kind of uh, vibe to the story. Yeah, like, my biggest problem with this movie, and by the way, the uh, the other writer was Catherine Rosenwink, and she had only done Mausoleum as something she wrote. After then, she worked on... Um, uh, she was a worker in employment exchange, so she played an actress in a movie called Mothers Do Have Them. I don't know what <laughs> that means. Um, I'm a little worried to find out what they have. Um, but, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it's it's not have. It's like have. Like A-V-E. Like mm. apostrophe A-V-E. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, she was also the assistant to executive producers on the TV show Alice for three years or three episodes. So, okay. yeah. Um, but that's all that I can find of hers. Uh, the producers, one of the producers, Michael Franzesi, I think that's how you say his name, or Franzesi. Um, he is the um, uh, so I think he wrote this himself, by the way. This is his like, this is his biography, and it's the funniest thing. Listen to this: Michael Franzesi grew up uh, the son of the notorious underboss of New York's violent Colombo crime family. As Franzesi rose within the ranks, he was estimated to have been making five to eight million per week from a gasoline bootlegging uh, scheme involving the Russian mafia. He survived <laughs> countless grand jury appearances, three state indictments. This is on his biography about him as a person. <laughs> like as an I like this usually for IMDB biographies, they don't go into like personal shit, you know, like that. They just say like they won like three awards from this grand jury thing, you know, like uh whatever. You know, they don't talk about like like this, this is going to be, he survived countless grand jury appearances, three state indictment, indictments, two federal racketeering trials, eight years in prison, and mafia descents. He is the only high-ranking made man still working in the prime earning years to publicly walk away from the mob and live to tell about it. In oh 19... my God. What? Uh, uh, I'm so sorry, it just clicked my mind. Michael Franzini, uh, I actually watch his uh, YouTube channel. Yeah. He has a channel uh, i know I, I love his youtube channel i subscribe to it i think it's great it's hilarious i didn't realize he he produced this movie um how i found out about him is i reviewed a movie called knights of the city that he produced and i looked him up and i saw all this information and was like holy shit this guy worked for the mob <laughs> you know yeah, um, he's always had that online issues with um uh john uh, tutorial uh the bull um they, that one, no, 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 they they've they've had uh, differences of of opinions on how events went down. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. So he has produced, executive produced, or produced, or whatever. I think usually executive produced. So you executive mausoleum was his first one, right? 
Then he did a really big hit after that, which was Savage Streets. Okay. Um, after that, he did Knights of the City, which wasn't a big hit, but I watched it on YouTube and was like, ah, this is fucking fantastic. It's such a, like, if the Warriors were like a musical, <laughs> you know, that's how I would describe it. It's just fantastic. Um, I could get down with that. That could be fun. Like it was like dance and it was dancing. So it, it, it was like if, if the Warriors met breaking, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. Like it was ridiculous dancing and shit. It was fun. Um, and then he produced a movie in 2016. So he hadn't actually produced anything since 1986 up until 2016 when he uh, produced a movie called Dance Angels. Uh, he has a movie called Million, Billion Dollar Boss uh, in development right now. Um, obvious style movie, which I mean, if he's producing it, I mean, I, I would be uh, more inclined to see it because uh, uh, not that the story would be like anything historically accurate, but I think the sequences of how things are shown will be pretty accurate. Probably, this was put out by Vinegar Syndrome on a Blu-ray release, and I would be interested to see what extras that they have on that, like if they have a um, commentary or, you know, kind of thing with the with the makers of this movie or whatever, talking about it, because I guarantee there's some there's some fun stories there. Um, uh, so, in the trivia, it said, it was produced by Yuppie Don, Michael Franzesi, uh, former capo of the Colombo crime family. It was allegedly a form of money laundering. Whether it was a passion for film or simply a business venture is unknown. Um, so it was just a way. And I think that's actually smart. Like when you have like that much money and you don't want people to sort of steal it from you, you know, kind of thing or whatever, get a trace back to you. You just put it into film film. So, Hey, all you mob people, if you want to fund my movie, come find me, you know, I just don't want to be, you know, sleeping with the fishes. See, yeah, that's actually really cool that he uh, produced, especially uh, Maz Liam. I mean, that's actually not a bad crack at uh, the Beyonce for one of his first uh, attempts. I mean, like I said, like it's a good movie overall. I mean, like it, it's an it's one of those under uh, like you know under the radar eighties uh, movies. You know, uh, you know, definitely uh, the gore factor was definitely. Uh, pretty darn impressive in my opinion. Like I wasn't expecting uh that level of gore. Uh, I was like, wow, okay, like this actually really has my attention. Actually, mm -hmm. like, like I want to see all the other deaths that happen. And actually, I, I'm glad I kind of went in with that mentality because uh, I think I can probably speak pretty openly on this one to say that uh, it didn't disappoint. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did not disappoint. Um, no, I, you know, sometimes you get those movies where like you get one good open kill, then the rest are like, yeah, you blew your, your whole entire budget on that first one, and now it's all going to be real cheap ones. Uh, and uh, this one had like, yeah, like it, it kept trying to up itself each time. I feel like you know, we, I, you know, it, like you know, like every time, like when I kept on seeing one, I was like, oh, that's probably the best one. And kids like, oh no, no, oh wow, no, you did better. Oh, oh yeah, you did. You, you did real good on that one. You know, it, it just it, like it kept on getting better and better. I'm like, all right. I mean, so yeah. I mean, the the effects. Uh, yeah, definitely kudos. Uh, 
I'm I, for the effects alone in the gore. I'm actually surprised this movie didn't get a little bit more uh, notoriety or or, or or at least uh like you know notice. Um, like especially like in the '80s uh, during that craze time. I mean, this movie just seems like one that would be right up right right up for the books. Uh, kind of like a uh, graduation day or um, you know, some of those other ones where like you know. For whatever reason, it kind of flew a little under the radar from, I mean, I guess because the mainstreams were just uh, taking everyone by storm. No one really was paying that much attention to the lower end ones because uh, you're getting the Friday the 13th, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, the Halloweens. And, uh, uh, and uh, well, the- I mean, this was 83, so even Nightmare on Elm Street didn't come out till like a year later. You know, um, I, I, I think at the time, probably in the 80s, it did well enough but it just sort of became like this forgotten sort of movie i think you know um uh i almost feel like paul should have put it on forgotten horror classics but it's not it's not a classic you know like to me in my my own my own sort of way like i it's definitely it feels more forgotten like i haven't really heard anybody talk about it you know and stuff so um but it's it's not really uh a classic you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's really. I think it has too many flaws with the story. You know that kind of ruins it. You know, to being a classic. Yep. And I think one of their fallbacks to it. I mean, I know we're gonna. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I know we can. We, I assume we can talk uh, a little spoilers, but this isn't really much of a spoiler or anything like that. But I think part of the problem was it. Like, it almost came off came off as a vibe, a little bit of a. Uh, uh, overly sexual, overly sensual uh, carry. Right. Um, yeah, no, I agree. That's sort of, yeah, I, I, would, go, I would say that. Um, you know, the, um, so, um, okay, let's let's actually go into the storyline or, or the story, you know, of it really. But like, basically it starts off with 10-year-old, um, uh, what's her name, Laura? Or, uh, I think. Susan. Susan. <laughs> okay, no, well, we're wrong. Ten-year-old Susan attends her mother's funeral with her aunt Cora. Maybe Laura and Cora. Then maybe I. Yeah, I mean, that's where is it, Laura? I don't know. Cora, nomad. Um, I'm gonna start off the bat and say that I really didn't like the fact that like this demon like would just get the first females of the of the name because I'm like, so it's very confusing. So does that mean? That what happens if like the it becomes a um a male with no females in their bloodline anymore? Is this demon just done? That's a good point. I mean, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, I mean, if I were somebody, I'd just be like, you know what? If this just keeps happening to these people and everything, they keep getting possessed or whatever. Let's just stop, you know, having a, you know, kids for this time being. Just kill off the bloodline for, you know, whatever. And that's we'll it. Start... <laughs> what? Let's we'll start, we'll start adopting. <laughs> yeah, let's start adopting. That's fine. Then the demon's like, damn it. Almost had them. You know, um, so she's in the grave. Like, they just put her mom in the grave, I guess, you know, and doesn't look like much of a funeral because there's nobody else there but them two, you know, right? I was like, I guess they're going to get extras that day. 
I mean, it was it, it looked pretty small, you know, thing. And so uh Cora is trying to get the ten year old girl to um just go home with her, you know, and she's like, I hate you, leave me alone, I'm a brat. Mm-hmm. She runs off and the girl's like, No, Cora <laughs> or no, Susan, sorry. No, Susan. Oh, <laughs> Don't go! I'm not gonna run after you. I'm just gonna stay here and say no. You know, oh. while she runs, and she runs really slow. By the way, I don't know why I see this all the time because it's not in slow motion. It's just her running slowly in a way. Like she did not run as fast as like I would imagine her going. I'm like that hurt. Aunt could easily catch up to her and just grab her and say, no, you got to go in the car and we're going home. Do not go anywhere near that mausoleum because apparently that's where everybody gets possessed and then turns into a demon sometime later. You know, that's why I wasn't a very good aunt because she put in very little effort to grab her. Yeah. I would have been just like, fine, go live with your demon. It's fine. Whatever. You know, you don't want to live with me. I don't care. But, uh, so later, like, cuts to, like, years later, um, Susan is now an adult, and the aunt is talking to the psychiatrist guy that she's friends with, I guess. I don't know. Is that, like, her psychiatrist? I believe so. I think it's someone she had the first seeing when she was a kid, and the psychiatrist, I think, was kind of, uh, you know, starting to, uh, you know, I don't want to say Dr. Loomis because, you know, that would end. Yeah, he reminded me of Donald Pleasance. Like, I was surprised that <laughs> Donald Pleasance didn't take that role. I mean, it was one of those ones where, like, I feel like his character, like, it was kind of like lightly sprinkling, uh, like a Dr. Loomis escape character. And uh, I would say maybe like the uh, uh, the priest uh, from um, um, uh, uh, the original uh, Amityville. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, he kind of had a little bit of that kind of like tone uh, to him. Um, but you know, uh, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so it's like the whole time he like doesn't believe any of this crap. You know, he thinks, and then she even gives him the, like the book, like they have a family diary, I guess. You know, that like explains everything. And okay, okay. Here's here's a big plot hole. They have put in the research about everything in the family diary, and they say all you need to do is put the crown of thorns on the head of the person who's possessed, and everything will whatever, right? It will all end. <laughs> yeah. So why hasn't this happened before? Why has it taken this many years for somebody to just go grab that crown of thorns and just put it on, put it on the demon's head? Yeah, I mean, especially when they're in the uh, childlike form. I mean, it's like that's a little bit. But I mean, I guess in all fairness, she's still pretty powerful because even in the opening, when she ran into the, when she was in the little girl form, still she even ran into the mausoleum and uh, made that one dude's head uh, explode. Yeah, the ra- random guy. I thought he was like the grave digger or something, but somebody in another video called him a bum. So I'm like, was he just a bum that was living in the mausoleum and was like, hey, what are you doing in my home? Get out. Yeah. 
I, I, I was kind of with you on that one, actually. Like, 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 yo, I actually thought that he was like a, a grave digger or something. He kind of looked like one to me, but I mean, maybe he was. Maybe he was. I think. Be, I think he was because at the end of the movie, Ben is the grave digger or whatever, which made no absolutely no sense to me. Like, I was very confused. Why? 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 I thought he died. You know. But did he not die? Is that another person? He's playing? what the fuck just happened at the end? But I mean, uh, it's all over again. <laughs> what? It's ghost ship all over again. I know. It's like what the fuck just? What? What? what it, huh? This is very confusing. So, um, and then uh, what is it? They um, <laughs> uh, they put you know so he the the. You know the um, the Doctor Loomis guy says to Ben, the grave digger. You know, and you don't know it's Ben because his head's cut off. I'm like, ah, oh, they're gonna reveal who the grave digger guy is, right? And uh, and then uh, he's like, oh, just like your father before you, you know, blah blah blah, right? So I was thinking maybe it was. The father before him was the guy that got his head blown off, you know, in the beginning. But none of it, like, none that that's just me speculating because it was never explained, you know. Like, that's just me throwing out shit to just make things somewhat stick to make some sense to the story. No, I'm, I'm no, I don't get that. And also, that's not a bad, uh, like, you know, uh, theory uh, and stuff. Like I said, like, I, I went into it blindly, like, I didn't know what to expect on that one, but I am with you. The story had some loose ends. That's why, like, when we were talking uh, earlier, even I was like saying, Yeah, when you told me it had multiple writers, I wasn't surprised about that. Cause the, the yeah, story too got- many cooks spoil the soup, pretty much. Like, they put just too much paprika in it, too much different other shit, and they fucking they put a shit soup out there, you know, in a way. Like, like it, it, it's a soup that you can taste, and you're like, Oh. This could have been better had just one cook worked on it. Exactly. I mean, it's like I, I think part of the problem was they didn't know which way they wanted to go. I think for a part of the movie uh, and stuff, like you know, did it want it to be more of like a crazy gore fest, psychological, like kind of like, like you know, uh, not, not not really psychological, but more of like you know uh, more of just like 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 that supernatural i guess supernatural stuff yeah or or do 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 you want to go more like the demonic cult esque and uh i think that's where the lines kind of got blurred in this one is like they just weren't sure which way they were going to go on that one uh maybe they just wanted to like please everyone and they gave them like a mixed bag of stuff but the problem with doing that is like it confuses the audience. Um, I, I've talked about this on other podcasts before, but I had a great talk with Steve Lemmy from Super Troopers once, oh, yeah. and I had him on my radio show back in the day, and he was talking about how he was on a plane with this old lady, and this old lady looked at him and was like, you look familiar. Are you in the movies? And he said, yes, actually, I am. He's like, well, what have you done that I may have may have seen and he goes have you seen a movie called super troopers and he described it and she said no i was like okay i was in a little movie called beer fest you know blah 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 nope and then he goes how about uh club dread and he explained club dread to her and she goes oh yeah that's the movie i saw that sucked 
<laughs> and he oh. goes, uh, excuse me, do you do you remember the part where I said I acted and produced those movies and wrote them? You know? And she's like, uh, yeah, well, they still suck. Um, and uh, and and he goes, okay, okay, but uh, please explain why you didn't didn't like it, you know, to me, so I can, you know, understand. Um, and her problem with the movie was it was too funny to be a horror film, and too horror film like to be a comedy, and it really confused her when she was watching it. Like, whether or not she was watching a comedy or a horror film. And, I mean, it was both, but it was, like, it was just too confusing for audiences that aren't people who watch horror, you know, horror comedies all the time. And I was like, that's fantastic. Like, that's a really good example of somebody actually giving you a pretty good critique. And she, and he loved that, that she said that to him, because it really kind of helped him understand why he, they did get a lot of flack for Club Dread, you know, it didn't didn't nearly do as well as Super Troopers or Beer Fest did, you know. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I mean, in all fairness, uh, full disclosure of all the Broken Lizards, and I'm a big Broken Lizards uh, movie fan. Matter of fact, uh, we have uh, one of the uh, uh, their movies where like all like the whole entire Broken Lizards crew uh, signed it, and. Uh, it just so happens that movie <laughs> happened to be a little gem that I happen to love dearly. It's called uh, Club Dread. <laughs> I mean, I can get other people not liking it, but I can also like I love it. I think it's one of my fun, one of my favorite films. I'm sad it's not even on Blu-ray. Like they never released it on Blu-ray. You know, I've got um, they haven't released their first movie on Blu-ray either, which is Puddle Cruiser. Like oh, if those yeah. movies get on. That's my favorite of their movies. It literally goes Puddle Cruiser, Super Troopers, uh, Beer Fest. No, Club Drive, Beer Fest. And, you know, like I believe they go sort of they've been sort of going down, you know, in my opinion, not going up, you know, but their down is still up high for me, you know. And we'll probably do Club Dread for horror film lovers at some point because if we both love it, yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Um, uh, have you seen their newest one, uh, Quasimodo? I didn't like it. No, I, I I really did not like. And this coming from a Brooklyn Lizard fanatic, like I love their stuff. I just thought it was like not that funny. No, I mean like. I felt like they were kind of more going through the motions. Like it didn't feel like a passion project like the others did. Like all the others, like you could tell it was, it was a movie they really wanted to do and they really got into it. I just, I just felt like the jokes fell flat. They didn't really take any chances. And maybe it was because like, uh, like the distribution they were going, cause I think that ended up being like a Hulu original or something. So yeah. maybe they, I think maybe Netflix had- original or something. Oh I yeah. I saw on Netflix, but yeah, you're right. I think it was I think it was whoever paid for it said this is what we want, give us this. And what they like, tried to sort of do was give us like their the super troopers version of History of the World Part 1. And I felt like it just wasn't funny enough, you know, like it it bored me a little bit and so I kind of stopped it after like 15 minutes. Now, maybe it gets better and and maybe I like I'm wrong to do that, but like I just you know, in my opinion, none of the other movies have ever bored me, you know. Um, oh yeah, I know. So even, I 
even the lesser ones, like like like, like that, like you know, because I mean, if we have kind of a little bit of opposite order, like Pell Cruisers is more on the back end and, and, and on, on the ones I like the most, but I still do uh, like it a lot. Uh, and uh, you know, like even a uh, Slam and Salmon is like, do I think do, do I uh, for me? And this is all all personal opinion. Like I I, I prefer Club Dread, uh, Beer Fest, um, uh, Super Troopers. Um, uh, but even with that, I can still say I, I still would easily watch those and have a, a broke book lizard's day. Quasi I could put I could put the slam and salmon on my list. Yes, you know of right. things because I've watched it all the way through a couple times, and I've liked it. It's just probably my least watched of their movies because I just don't feel like it has a lot of um a lot of the jokes. Like it felt like Super Troopers doing waiting. You know, like the movie waiting. And everything, and it's funny because at one point Kevin Smith was gonna do um, clerks uh, in a restaurant. It was gonna call, be called Bussing, you know. Um, it wasn't about uh, the waiters. It was about the busboys, I guess, or whatever. So waiting sort of did that for for him in a way, you know, like yeah. But um, yeah. So you're saying, but this Quasimodo one didn't do anything for you. Yeah, no, like, like that was that, like that was the first movie of theirs that if I uh, want to have a big Brooklyn Lizards weekend and just watch all their movies, that's one that like it would probably be at the very end uh, because it would be one of those ones where like if I really want to still watch something I'm really into it, then sure I'll put it on. If I, but if I have my fill for the weekend and. I can easily pass it. <laughs> yeah. I think I would pass on it. No offense. Um uh but it's just not it's not for me. Um however this movie, Mausoleum, that we're talking about, um, I think this movie I and like once again, going back to why Club Dread didn't work is they had too much comedy. I think you're right that this movie had too much other stuff going on for it. Like, you know, it it does the uh you know, it does the gore, but also does have a little psychological ting ting to it. It's got a little this or that, and, and it just feels like just too much. And so, um, but going back to the story, the story of it. Um, so, uh, after we meet the the adult her, we meet the adult uh, Susan with her um, husband Oliver. Absolutely loved Oliver probably my favorite character in the whole movie uh, mainly because he was the audience you know like he was the one that everybody had to relate to everybody had to connect with and everybody had to love and I feel like he did it uh, what's his name the actor's name um, why is that not going up um, Marjo uh, Gortner that is the that's a name. Um, yeah. Interestingly <laughs> enough, he was in the 1978 film Star Crash, um, which I've heard of. Um, I think it's on Tubi. Um, and uh, um, let's see. Uh, he was also in Earthquake. Oh, okay. Remember that movie? I have that on Blu-ray. Yeah. He was in Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. Um and uh, a bunch of other stuff. He's been in a lot of, a lot of films. Um, then the girl um in it, Bobby um, Breeze, Breezy, 
Brzee. Um, she was in Ghoulies. She was in uh, Star Slammer. Or the Adventures of Star Slammer. Um, she was in a movie called Armed Response. I think she gets naked in most of them. You Well, know? I mean, she got naked in this one, too. <laughs> Like, I okay, so I saw, you know, she got naked the first time. I'm like, oh, well, she got naked. You know, like, some people would not be okay with that, but she seemed okay. Then she got naked again. And then again. And again. And I'm like, I almost feel kind of sorry for her, like, having to be naked all that time, you know? Like, when, I mean, of course, she obviously doesn't mind. She's probably getting paid handsomely for it, you know? But... Still, like, it just feels sort of awkward in a way. Like, I don't know. Like, a lot of people go, oh, my God, 80, especially 80s horror films. They have to have nudity and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, today especially, I just, I don't need to see it. If it's there, that's okay. I'm not going to, like, pitch a fit because, like, I'm okay with seeing titties. But especially I, the 80s. It, I mean, nudity was a staple for 80s horror. Right. It was, but it like it didn't have to be so much. I feel like I feel kind of awkward at times after watching that. But yeah, um, I mean, especially when like you know she was sleeping with other men. Uh, when like you know it's like it's like you said even like you know we all actually liked the husband. He was actually a legitimate nice guy, and you actually well, I felt bad for him. <laughs> She even jokes at one point about sleeping with somebody else, and he like kind of jokes around with it. But I'm like thinking, dude, she's, this this is true. This is real. She's really doing this, you know. But I guess it didn't matter because spoiler alert: he dies later in the movie. You know, um, my my saddest the saddest death in my in the movie. You know, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. Because um, almost everybody else deserved it, except maybe Cora didn't deserve it. I didn't feel like because she was doing nothing but trying to help her freaking uh, uh, niece, you know? Like, how, why, why did she deserve to get her, like, whole chest ripped out, you know, or whatever while, while, you know, floating up, up in the thing? That was pretty awesome, though. That was probably my favorite special effect. In the movie, um, but I would probably even argue that the uh, delivery guy probably uh, didn't uh, deserve it either. Like you know, it's like, hey, look, someone ordered it. Like you know, I didn't. Well, throw, uh, I'm just. <laughs> he did almost like like assault her, you know, um, you know, like yeah. Well, let's go through the desk because you know I think they're pretty cool. Like some of them are pretty neat, um, and pretty crazy, but. Yeah, so to the first one that dies is the um some random dude. Like, who was this guy? He was just like he was at the club that she was at. He was talking to his girlfriend and she's like, You keep looking at her, blah blah blah, stop looking at her, you know, pay attention to me. And then he's like, Fuck you, I'm gonna keep looking at her. And she's like, Well, I'm not gonna be with you, like leaves. And then he just goes the other Oliver gets a phone call. I'm like, 
How did the people know he was at that club? Mm -hmm. He must have told them, but like we don't know that information. So like to me, it's just like they randomly knew where he was, and maybe they have a tracking on him or something. You know, <laughs> like well, you know. it really be important. He probably said, "Look, you can, you can reach me at this establishment. I'll be there or something." Yeah, I mean, for that time era, it wasn't unheard of, <laughs> right? So anyway, so he got a phone call. He left, and then the dude comes over to her, starts trying to dance with her, and she's like, "Leave me alone!" You know, pushes him away. Eventually, gets away. Then the dude comes out of the they, when they're leaving because you know he has to go back to work. She's like, "I'm fine. I want to go home anyway." And as they're leaving, the guy like pushes into them, and it's like yeah. all drunk and shit, and um. And, First of all, he's drunk, and they're like all okay with like letting him drive. And I'm like, dudes, this is not in 2023. You know, like in 2023, you could not write a scene where some dude goes and gets into a car drunk. You know, there would be a million people there going, no, 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 buddy, we'll call you a cab. Call you a cab. Well, well you know, because uh, so many people nowadays are scared of fucking drunk drivers. But in the 80s, they were doing that so much that nobody even, I mean, didn't even think about it. You know, that wasn't even a problem. I mean, it was a problem, but nobody looked ever really, you know, people make jokes about it too or shit. And I'm like, ah, it's not the same as today. Um, that's a big mishap right, in that scene right there too, now that you mentioned it too. Because if you remember, when they first came out there, it was they were acting like it was it, it was a valet kind of service. That's what I thought. And, but yeah, the dude, the dude came out. He just walked right on out to his car, and I was like, "Well, wait a minute! If it is valet service, you would have been handing off your keys to them, and they would have gotten the car for you and brought it to you." Uh, that's that's how right. It works. <laughs> yeah. So they keep your keys. So yeah. you hand how does that even make any sense? Unless like some people don't want the valet. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he just said, forget that. I'm not. Maybe like, no, I'm he not. found a good parking spot because it was like right outside the front door, you know, or whatever. So he found the parking spot and didn't need the valet to like park his car, you know. I don't know. It just depends on how rich he, rich that place is, you know. Like, you know, do they only do valet or do they allow you to park your own car? You know, yeah, but, um, no. Always watching. Let that be a lesson to you. Always get the valet. It could save your life. It could save your life. You might not get a hurt. Some chick may not take her green eyes and explode your car. You know. Um, but with that being said, though, I'm not going to lie. When I saw him get get, get a, you know killed in the car and everything, I was just thinking, I was like, well, you know what? At least on the brighter note, uh, there's probably some couple out there or some family out there who's driving right now who's probably going to get to go home tonight because this dude didn't get to pull out. All well, that's that. And the other idea, like, because I thought about it and I was like, this guy seems like an asshole, but he only seemed like an asshole around her. So I'm wondering if, like, the demon thing has some kind of, like, power over people, you know? Like... Oh. Because she wasn't even looking at that dude before he came and, and bothered her, right? So he wasn't even she, she wasn't even putting out anything for you know, like that. So it was it was weird. Um, 
So let's see what else. Um, so yeah, the car explodes and fucking the dude tries to go and, and, and open up the door and shit and get him out and everything. And I'm like, dude, you know, <laughs> like you want to blow up too? Like what the hell, you know? Um, I was actually waiting for the wife to stop doing that and be like, no, Oliver, come back over here. You know, right? Like, but she doesn't do that. She's lets it, you know, explode. But yeah, it's got a little bit carried because like she's just kind of making it happen with her, her mind, mm -hmm. you know, her demonic mind is just making it happen. <laughs> what? She she was being cold blooded. <laughs> I know. Pretty pretty fucked up, but so he he explodes. So that's one death, the first death. The second death is um is the gardener, I believe. Yeah, yeah. that I happened the first thirty minutes, both deaths, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie! I'm like, they're running out of people already. Who else are they gonna kill? <laughs> like, don't worry, <laughs> they they, don't, they figure they figure that out. I mean, there's a couple more people that. You were you did not get to meet that you just randomly get to meet. That just, I you just kind of feel sorry that they just get into the way of this of this chick, you know. Um, that dude at the mall. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to him in a second. But the the second guy's Gardner, and the first time you see him before they go to the club, he's acting a little weird around her, like he's kind of into her or some shit. And oh, the, definitely, the husband's just like, I think he has a little crush on you. You know, kind of thing. And so then he's later we see him and he's sort of working on the yard. He's doing a lot of other shit, you know, sleeping and shit and other stuff. I don't know what drinking coffee. That coffee scene. Oh my oh. god. That was oh. so weird. I was like very creepy and very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. Like he's just like kind of like and he's trying. He's trying to have her cheat on him or whatever, cheat with him. And um so they sort of uh she's she's kind of like, Oh, that's your coffee, all right, you got your coffee, you know. Then go back to work. Go go back. Leave me alone. Stop staring at me, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And uh so he goes back out, out, does whatever. Then he's chopping on some wood. He's trying to get that stump out, I guess, or whatever. Um, and he looks up and he sees her, like, flashing him and shit. Mm -hmm. And so he knows, all right, there's something going on here, you know. So he, you know, talks to her. Then eventually he gets to go into the garage with her. Which I was like, out of all the places to fuck the garage, like, I, I, uh -huh. like, I, didn't, I didn't get that, like. I, I guess it's better than to be caught like in the bed with the person, but like, I'm sorry, I, I'm not gonna go screw in a garage. If some woman said that, I'd be like, no, that sounds like a serial killer type shit. No, I'm not. I'm not down with that. You know, like they're like, let's go in the basement and have sex. I'm like, no. <laughs> I've seen too many uh, true crime videos. No, bad idea. <laughs> But the uh, so they have sex in the garage, and he is the weirdest motherfucker in the world. Mm -hmm. Like he is like, uh, she claws him at one point because she's a demon. I guess that's what they do when they have sex. He's like all into it and shit. And uh, 
And then she's like on her side after they had sex. And she's like, her eyes are all glowing green and stuff. And I'm just like, and you can, we can hear the sound. Can he not hear that? Mm -hmm. You know, so annoying too. That was my least favorite thing in the world. Cause I'm like, oh, it's this terrible sound. And that um, cost a loud chinging, a chiming uh, score. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, then she kills him with like a fucking, I don't know if it's a pitchfork or something kind of thing, like a mini pitchfork or something. But she like stabs him and he's dead. And that was a pretty cool death. I mean, you know. Oh, it- what was that? I mean- I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a bad death uh, at all. I, I definitely thought it was good. Um, I, I'm not. I, uh, I don't say it was the best one of the film. No, nope. um, but it was a good one. We'll get to the best ones in a second. Um, so I think that is the the next one is the best one because I think the next one is uh, her aunt Cora when uh, she's that- just she's just coming to visit her and check up on her, and she comes upstairs and sees her like a demon. And she's already okay. So first of all, she's talked to the <laughs> doctor, and the doctor has sort of um, told her that, uh, um, or no, she's told the doctor that, that that something's weird going on with her. You know, she's starting to change and stuff like that. She knows the stuff, you know, and so then when she sees her again. You know, she notices, like, the complete big change, you know, in her or whatever, that she's a fucking flat-out demon. And so she lifts Cora up, pulls her to the side of the uh, banister and stuff, and then rips out her, like, insides and shit. Shit was awesome. That was the best death. I swear to God, that... I don't think any of the other deaths beat that. I mean, some of the other ones were really cool, but that was just, like, fucking brutal. You know? That one definitely uh, was way up there. Um, uh, the the next one I think was the delivery guy. Uh, I was a big fan of his uh, to uh, you know the whole like po- you know uh, face po- uh, melting and the eyeball like you know like you know dripping off the face. Yep. Was stuff. that was pretty wicked. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, and then the was it the um. Uh, the the man at the uh, mall, who was like, "Oh, you can't have that picture. It's taken." She was like, "I want it." She's like, <laughs> "She she she was like the first Karen, you know, <laughs> the OG, <laughs> the OG Karen." She's like, "I want it. That's mine. I'm gonna you. I'm gonna call your manager and you know get that painting, you know." And so the guy takes his turns his back on her. And, you know, talks to somebody else and she takes the painting and runs. And you think, oh, that's it. But nope, the guy turns and tries to call her out. So she lifts him up in the air. And, okay, so you're in a mall, right? A pretty cool mall. Like, it was pretty neat looking, you know? But you're in a mall. And you see some guy fly floating up in the air and then, like, crashing or whatever, right? And everything. But you see this woman with like green eyes, like like staring at him. Wouldn't you think that maybe like 
you call the police and say, this bitch is the, somehow is the one who did it. I don't know how she did it, but, you know, I, you know, I mean, something. It's you a know. tough sounds like, yeah, she had glowing green eyes. I think she levitated him to his death. And they, they'll probably lock you up before they go lock her up. <laughs> That's true. They'll be like, uh, dude, I think you're a little nuts. Man. But I really like that scene a lot, too, actually, like that in that death, because that's one that actually threw me for a curveball, because I thought for sure when I saw that scene, like I like I knew what was going to happen to a point. I was like, OK, I get it now. I was like, you want to get an extra death in, but, you know, maybe the budget's a little getting a little tight now. So you're going to do a quick, easy death, you know, which, hey, you know, y'all be giving us some great gore kills here. So, you know, kudos, you know, you you, you deserve a pass. Uh, like so, I, th I thought for sure it was gonna be one of those ones where like he gets dropped and you hear him yell and see him fall, and then next thing you you'll see him you'll you'll see him laid out on the ground, uh, you know, with just like a pile of blood next to him or something like that, you know, something you can get you can get away with on on the quick and easy. Uh, but then only to find only to find out like nope, he fell and he was dropped like right onto something that you know completely uh impaled him and it was completely sticking out. You had right. gore. And all that, like you know, intestines all hanging off of it and everything. I was like, nope, they didn't disappoint again. <laughs> nope, that was pretty cool. I like that. Um, then, uh, yeah, so then after his death, Oliver's death, I think was the last real death, you know, right? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, because after that, it was her husband who they were just having a good time. You know, he was being very, he should have known, man, because, like, that doctor warned him, like, she's possessed or something fucked up with her, you know, you gotta stay away from her, and he loved her and wanted to, to try to help her as much as he could, and she turned on him, finally, which was weird, because she never turned on him before, right? There were plenty of times she could have just been like, you just keep muddling, meddling in my business, I'm gonna murder you, like, when he called the doctor and got the doc, you know, got and forced her basically to go see the doctor, you know, which is one of my favorite scenes. I love the doctor scene. And mm -hmm. like the hypnosis scene was pretty fucking cool. But um she uh she just she killed him, you know, his intestines and shit are hanging out and everything and and went on the bathtub, you know, so those were some really cool deaths, and then the makeup oh, effects on the demon were awesome. You know, uh, that that is true. I mean, good uh, point too, because uh, uh, yeah, we definitely been more focused on the gore, but yeah, no, the special effects makeup for the demon. No, uh, once again, um, for a movie that was in the unknown and like you know, and like, like I said, under the radar, um, I was really surprised by how good the effects were. I mean, I would say, especially for that time era. Uh, it's right up there with any of the ones that people looked at, at the <coughs> like, like like the ghoulies or 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 like any of those other like you know well were known ones. Uh, I know the being uh, was was another one that uh, used used to get a lot of love uh, for its uh, creature special effects. Uh, I kind of feel like this, this one was uh, maybe not on par with them, but they were in the same ballpark. Uh, they definitely were. You know, they weren't far behind them. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, and so, yeah, so some of my favorite scenes, I'll tell you this. These are some of my favorite scenes. I loved this lady right here, Elsa, or Elsie? Elsie, the uh, maid, the maid lady. I liked her. 
<laughs> she uh she apparently was the uh aunt uh was an aunt in um Sanford and Sons. And I watched one of her one of her bits like she was uh uh the sis the sister of the uh of the lead female or whatever, you know, and it and it was there uh Whatever the guy's name is, Red, I think is his name. The the main actor, the main I mean oh, character. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sanford. He yeah. uh he and her did not have a good relationship. So I saw like a clip where um uh, he was like, Oh, hi to the the husband, and then the then the the aunt walks by and goes, Bye. And like slams the door on their faces or whatever, and that like became like a running joke, I guess, <clears throat> that she would always do that to her. Um, and uh, so anyway, I absolutely loved her in this movie. Um, my my usually my biggest gripe in these kind of movies is when people talk to themselves, you know, because I'm like that's even though I do that myself, like it just seems written doesn't seem real or anything you know like mm -hmm. seems like a lot of times it's just used for exposition and this was funny as hell like i just laughed my ass off whenever she talked to herself like she's like oh boy he left he left i don't know what to do i don't know what to do should i go see her should i not go see her what's going on oh oh okay i'm gonna go upstairs I'm, you know what i'm you know i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna make myself a drink you know, right? And she makes herself a drink and like, oh, man, I need another one. You know, right? It almost felt like it was improv. You know, they just told her this is what you need to do. Right? And then what was her line? I don't know if they have it in the quotes. It was one of my favorite lines of the whole movie. Um, and I did not write it down. Um, uh, well, she said, great googly moogly, which I always love. She <laughs> said, no more grieving, I'm leaving. No more grieving. I'm leaving. <laughs> She's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Like she, she left, and she was the smartest one of them all. She no, didn't she... die because she was like, screw this shit. I'm out of here. You know, it, it's it's funny because you see jokes on like scary movie or something where they'll be like, the black people would always be like, that's not real. My ass will be out of there in a second, right? She was she was that person that they were talking about, you know, mm. like you white white people can deal with your white people shit. I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> like I'm I'm the, I'm gonna live and I'm gonna go be on I'm gonna continue being on Sanford's son. Whoosh, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm up for a TV role. Forget this. <laughs> yeah, I had a better role in a TV TV show. I'm out, you know. So it was funny. I loved her. I adored her. When she saw the uh, when she saw the green smoke coming out, like I was like, "Why are you getting closer to it?" You know, I'm like, "I see green smoke coming out of something." You know, I'm leaving just like her. I'm like, "I'm out." Like, I'm sorry, I can't. I ain't even gonna. You know, the police can deal with it if they want, but I'm I'm out. You know, like I'm not. Uh, I'm I, I ain't. Was it? Uh, no more grieving. I'm leaving. And then she was like, there's some strange shit going on in this house. So she had all the best lines. Like, I just absolutely adored her. Um, left me high and dry. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the, the guy. The guy was like, hey, have you have you seen Elsie? She was supposed to come out. No. 
She said that about Aunt Cora too. Oh, she'll show up. But she meant that she'll, her body will show up, you know, sometime, you know, or whatever. Um, Elsie, I don't, yeah, she never killed, so. Elsie's just like, I ain't working. I quit, you know? Yeah. And then the gardener never show back up, and, you know, like, you would think that he would start putting two and two together once he starts realizing people are missing. That maybe considering everybody's been saying she's been killing people, like she's been a demon possessed, that maybe something's going, something's rotten in Denmark, you know? Well, essentially, you know, he's been around for a couple of those deaths when she was around too. So you got to start asking yourself, is this really coincidence? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, then what was the other, one of my other favorite scenes in the movie? Because I love that. Like, I loved her character. Um, and I love the hypnosis scene. So, that scene where he puts her under the hypnosis, um, and then she starts kind of freaking out about, um, her, uh, aunt, uh, staying with her aunt. She hates her aunt. She's back to being a 10 year old kid. And then she's running into the mausoleum. And then all of a sudden she takes the form of the demon, you know, and mm -hmm. stuff and, and everything. I thought that was so cool. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, interesting. I've never seen that in a demon possession movie, you know, ever. So kudos to them for doing that. Like, if somebody does it now, I'd be like, that's for mausoleum. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you know, they definitely took uh, a lot of their own uh, risks in this one, so I, you, you gotta commend them on that one. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know, like I said, some of it definitely worked, and then some of it, you know, didn't. I mean, it is definitely a mixed bag, uh, you know, on that one. Like I said, the story is definitely a mixed bag. The special effects and the gore uh, are definitely uh, very worthy, uh, like uh, of, of watching alone. Um, uh, then, of course, you know if you uh, you know if they're into uh, if you're all into the uh, you know good uh, uh, gratuitous uh, uh, nudity, uh, mostly focusing on just one girl, of course. Uh, then... Yeah, that's the only thing I really like. Another thing I don't like sometimes is when just one chick gets naked the whole time because once again, it makes me feel weird. Like. I like okay. I saw her one naked once. That's cool, but now it just feels like a porno in a way. Like because like the chick's just pretty much naked most of the movie, you know, or whatever, you know. Like take definitely that tone. I mean, I've came across a few of those uh, where I thought I was getting horror, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's got horror undertones to it, but I feel like the plot of this is going in a different direction. Yeah, uh, uh, Living Dead Girls. Uh, that's a good example. I actually, uh, I, I, I bought that movie on a uh, on a blind uh, whim once, uh, not knowing what I was getting myself into. Uh, I was, I was actually thinking it's like it was going to be something about like you know, like you know, dead zombie uh, girls coming back to life, and it's it's about one. And it's about her apparently uh, just seducing all these rich guys to leave her dead island alone. So she just constantly seduces them and seduces them, uh, like you know, screws them and screws them and screws them. And then eventually uh, they can't handle her passion anymore and they all die in some way, shape, or form. That's a like, porno. Like, I feel like yeah. that's a horror porno. Yep. Yeah, and, and 
And like you know, like you said, Doug, like you know, like I almost wondered at times, like you know, especially during the Gardner and her makeout scene, that was one where, where like, it's like you know, when you watch like Friday the Thirteenth or like you watch Halloween or whatever, and you see those sex scenes, like it's like a quick little kiss, uh, you know, kissy here, like a quick little grab the boobs, or like the or the quick little makeout, then the girl quickly like you know takes her top off and then she uh, falls on top of them, blah blah blah. And then, bam! Killer comes in, enter, and kill. Right. Uh, this one, like with the gardener, that was actually like it almost felt like that, like seventies uh, uh, sexploitation kind of uh, sex scene, almost where, like you know, it had um, it went gratuitous and longer than it. It I felt like you would normally get out of your average horror movie. Yeah, pretty much. I would imagine. I mean, it went a little bit too much, I guess. But yeah, it borders. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what they thought they needed to like attract attention, you know, for them. You know what I mean? Like, um, Hollywood plays it safe. Independent films don't, you know. And this is more of an independent film than I think it wasn't made by Hollywood, you know, by anyone in Hollywood. It was made by a mob guy. You know, so there you go. Well, and I mean, come on, let's be realistic here. Like, and anyone, anyone who listens or watches this, you know, is going to, uh, well, will probably agree too that throughout the ages of entertainment, if there are a few things that are almost deadlocks to usually sell good comedy, nudity, uh, glossy action adventures, right? You know, I mean, those are just staples that if you incorporate that into the movie, you're going to get at least some type of general audience uh, to it. May, it may be small, it may be big, but you're definitely serving uh, crowds that are definitely there who are willing to drop it. I mean, it was even in the horror world, like, you know, like for the gore fanatics, like, you know, uh, they would probably love Mausoleum. I mean, um, there are uh, plenty of uh, like you know, I know plenty of horror people out there like you know who want lots of nudity in their films and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so you know, I mean, I'm not sure how they would feel about Mausoleum. I mean, because usually that crowd usually wants multiple different girls, not just the same girl flashing the same set over and over again. Uh, there's that uh, there's that great scene in the movie Knocked Up where he's trying to describe his like. Seth Rogen's trying to describe his uh, website, right? And he was like, you know, um, say you want, say you like Meg Ryan. And she's like, I love Meg Ryan. He was like, yeah. Well, uh, if you want to see where she's nude, you know, uh, you go to our site and it will tell you she's nude in this movie. She's nude in this movie. She's nude in this movie, you know, right? It was like, uh, you know, and, uh, or no, she's nude in like one movie, but it's like multiple times. And he was like, you know, um, uh, she's, uh, you know, um, she's not Sally, she's Harry, you know, that kind of thing, like makes jokes about it and stuff like that. Like she goes, apparently she's, uh, she has a, she shows her bush in one of the movies that she put in the cut or something like that, I think was what the movie was called. But anyway, the point is that there are, there are actors who have done like the nude role in multiple scenes you know, or whatever, and, but usually usually there's more than one person also doing it too, so it doesn't feel awkward like this did, you know, like this 
felt really like gross in a way because of how much just one person did nudity, you know? No, I, I would I would definitely agree with you because when you know, it was that one girl over and over again, even even though like it, like you know in this one it was obviously uh, consenting uh, in the sense that you know the girl was luring them in to obviously kill them and stuff, uh, which is where where it's where my similarities to this next example were, but in some ways it, it was almost kind of like watching a little bit like the original I Spit on Your Grave where it was kind of like man. Some of these things just feel very, uh, just not okay to watch and mm. stuff. I just it should feel really weird. Exactly, like you know, like I just should be watching this, and uh, no, I I definitely agree with you on that one. I mean, it was it was kind of it's just it kind of just felt I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even know what the word to uh, to describe it is. I mean. Not like you know, I, I was going to use the word force, but it, but I, I don't think that's the right word though. It's not really force, but it just it felt overplayed, overdone, um, right? Um, and like I don't know. I mean, I wish you would have uh, at least done some other angle or something. Like you know, maybe there's like some chick that's interested in her husband or something, and like you know, she she's going to take care of her, and you know, at some point during her death, you, you know hers pop out well, you know their girls on uh, boobs pop out or something i mean i don't know i mean but yeah they do the same girl over and over again you kind of hit the head on the nail it really starts to turn into like a porno at that point it feels like especially when it's folks around the same person getting nude all the time and having sex or whatever like i mean multiple different people yeah it it definitely scales that porno vibe a little um you know, but once again, though, it's kind of like that mesh blend that we were talking about, like where they weren't 100% sure where they wanted to go. I think even in their tones a little bit, uh, like, you know, maybe that could even uh, have had some uh, uh, corresponding uh, differences and stuff about the directions that they wanted to take. Right. Exactly. What were your some of your favorite scenes? Um. I definitely love the, del the, the delivery guy scene a lot. Like I said, just, just that score, that special effects, the eyeball, that was really cool. Uh, well, it was just so strange. Like, apparently, I guess the gardener sent her plants, and then he's just delivering the plants, right? That's it. Like, yeah. like I mean, I, you know, I, if I, she was like, you can call your boss and blah, 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 I would have been like, it's okay. You can keep them or I can take them away. I don't care. You know, like, I don't need to call my boss here. But then she kind of gives that, like, sexy kind of thing, like, you know, yep. you're going to come in here, you're going to have sex with me sort of thing, um, which he tries to at one point, and she pushes him away and says, call, you know, calls boss first. And he's, like, all pissy about it. And I'm like, um, well, I mean, and then she kills him with the phone, you know, basically, like, the ear and all the blood on the phone you know and stuff like you know um which when you see the phone later because the, the um the husband comes in sees the phone all bloody and was like what happened you know and she's just like nothing like nothing you know you know 
it's no big deal, whatever. And the thing is, it wasn't like a drop or two blood where like, oh, maybe she pricked a finger or something. I mean, there was enough blood on there to say that at the very least, uh, her like palm of her hand or something like, you know, got sliced across or, or something like that. Right. I mean, like, like in, there's like a in, lot of blood on that phone. Exactly. I mean, like, it, like it, it definitely it, it was more than just a little prick. Like, you know, it like it would have been a significant cut, at least <laughs> on some you would have noticed on on her body if she it was on her. And the fact that you don't see a cut on her brings up even more red flags. I'm like, OK, well, if that's the case, then there's blood on the phone. You have no cuts. Who else was here? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, the gardener stopped by for a little bit. He must have pricked his uh, hand or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those darn rosewoods can really gush a vein. <laughs> so yeah, so okay, so somebody pointed out in a video, and this makes me laugh. So I want to bring it to the end. You know, we'll we'll cut kind of to the end, but um, at the end of the movie. Um, he kind of, what is the doctor had met with his friend and she had told him, you just need to follow what the, what the diary says basically, and go find that crown of thorns at the mausoleum and put it on the, on the girl's head while she's a demon. Right. So he's like, he's okay with doing all of this. Right. Cause he's the, he's the Dr. Loomis. He's the, you know, whatever. <laughs> so he, he drives to the, um, he drives to the mausoleum and just picks up the crown of thorns off of like the door. You know, doesn't even go inside the mausoleum, doesn't even have to do anything crazy, just picks up the crown of thorns. Which I'm <laughs> like, why is there a crown of thorns on the door of the mausoleum anyway? But well whatever. You know, like none of that was ever none of that's ever really explained. But he goes they just had to they had to figure out a way to stop this movie, this demon, and I thought they were going to bring in an exorcist or something. Like, I thought that that's where they were going with this, but I guess this is an easier way than exorcist, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. You know, maybe they wanted to take their own little, like, angle, their own little liberty and not try to come off looking like they were trying to be a carbon copy of the exorcist, maybe. Uh, uh, but I'm with you, though. I mean, when you, whenever you hear demonic, the first thing you always think of is like some type of uh, ex exorcism. I mean, uh -huh. like like Night of the Demons or uh, or, or Dario's uh, Demons or anything or like that. The all, Exorcist, you know. Yeah, all the, yeah, they all had like you know, even though it may not have always involved priests, it was some type of cultural passage of some uh, religious base that you know would extract the demons. Sometimes it's some old Latin language or something from way back in the dark ages or something. And, and this was like a therapist. So it's more science. You know, he's, he doesn't believe this stuff, you know, until he has to, until he sees it, you know, then he believes it, right? When he sees her turn, you know, that's when he just realized, you know, this is real, you know. Um, so then he goes to put the crown of thorns on her head like that. Like there's like no fight or anything. There's just like that's it. And I was <laughs> like, that's kind of lackluster. Like that's kind of boring. You know? <laughs> you really did a big build up all for naught. <laughs> I know. And then like the demons in the mausoleum, and then she has to put the crown of thorns, I guess, 
back on the body to like and then close up the crypt and then it's over I guess but like nobody's still allowed to go into the mausoleum and I'm like thinking okay so if nobody's allowed to go into the mausoleum right where all of this started from um why it, why was it made to be like the first born woman in the nomad family which is weird that the demon is called nomad does that mean that my my moody family is a demon name like is there a moody demon out there i don't know michael or sir mcglynn you know demon out there oh uh, you know my name is mcglynn you know there is somewhere <laughs> um So anyway, so he go, she goes and puts it on the, and then we see sort of like her as a ten year old, that flashback to her as an adult, her as ten year old flashback, and I'm like, I'm so confused. What is going on? Is this guy seeing this? Are we just seeing this? What is, what is literally happening right now? You know, like I, I told you when I, when I first finished it, and I sent you that message. I said this is a wackadoodle film. It is. <laughs> It is, it is, that is the best way to describe it. It is wackadoodle. Like, it is the weirdest movie I've seen in a while. And in fact, I didn't know if I was going to like it or not because I was like, this is extremely bad already from the very beginning of them in the, uh, uh, in the cemetery and her running and everything. I'm like, the fuck is going on? This feels like a, you know, a B movie like from today. You know, with, this is a Dustin Ferguson type thing. Like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, but it got better. It got way better. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and the acting got better. I mean, I think just that first opening scene was just terrible, you know? And it just, it sort of, like, lowered the bar. So everything else could get better, you know? Um, but, man, I feel weird because, like, some people might watch that movie and only see that 10 minutes and be like, or five minutes or whatever the opening was and be like, nope, nope. This is just bad acting already, you know? And yeah, no, they should really give it a fair uh, shake. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I, I would not call it, like, I, I would never call it a classic or anything like that, but... I feel like, you know, but, but then again, though, bear in mind, Sleepaway Camp wasn't a classic when it first came out either. But over time and over resonation, uh, eventually uh, the right groups of people caught wind of it and it became a cult classic. Uh, not saying that will happen with this one, but I can see some potential in that being a thing. I mean, like I said, I really think, like, you know, this is definitely one of those movies where, like, am I going to go out of my way to watch it again? Probably not, but uh, if I'm hanging out one night and I see it pop up and it's right there for me to watch and it's available, yeah, I'd go back and watch sure. it again. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd probably buy this on Blu-ray at some point. It's just right now, it's like, I see it for like $25 on eBay and I'm like, eh, don't really want to spend $25 right now on it, but like maybe next year sometime I'll buy it on Blu-ray because I'm supposed, I'm trying to get my Vinegar Syndrome library up and, and this is a movie that I'll probably want to show people you know um and watch with friends or something you know or whatever and i want to hear if they have commentary or behind the scenes stuff you know interviews and and whatnot because 
I'd like to know more about the making of this movie. Um, but the movie itself, I think, is just sort of it's fun, it's enjoyable. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised too. Oh yeah, no, I I really was. I mean, you know, I know when we first got on, I was even telling you the same thing. I was like, yeah, I caught it. I was like, you know what? Um, I I, I surprisingly ended up liking it a lot more than I, I thought I was going to. When I first saw it, kind of like you in the beginning. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be like one of those ones where like I was almost wondering it's it's gonna feel like an overdubbed uh, movie most of the time. It's gonna probably just draw be drawn out a lot and. Uh, but to my surprise, though, I it was actually very enjoyable. Uh, um, and, I mean, I, I know I've said it a million times, but like I said, the uh, special effects and the gore really uh, impressed me a lot on this one. I mean, uh, that alone, uh, it's worth the eye candy of, of the gore effects alone. Uh, but like I said, the story, I feel like if they just picked one direction it would have been a much more solid movie. And given the two directions they were kind of going back and forth on, if, I, if I'm to be brutally honest, I think they would have been better off keeping it more of a more sensualized, sexualized uh, caring. Right. Uh, I just feel like that was a good route they were going. The deaths seemed to kind of more align up more with that kind of like you know style anyway like it's like whenever she got mad or or, or aggravated or agitated that's when like you know the killings would happen like you know most of the time and stuff so it felt like it was almost triggered by emotion to almost to a point similar to what carrie was uh I, I feel like if they went that route, I mean, they could have fleshed out a, a much more uh, easier uh, and more coherent story. Uh, the demonic parts, like you said, even, they were very lackluster at times, like ending up with <coughs> crown and everything. Um, but also, um, I don't know. I just don't feel like the demonic route was something that you really – needed in this one outside to show that you could do really cool uh demon makeup uh it well, was that it was also the the the, the carry part you know and stuff like they'd have to explain that um and they explained it with being a demon you know demons can do that i guess i don't know i know i've never met a demon so i've never asked them can you levitate people and and burst out their chests and stuff you know and they'd be like yeah that's that's normal demon shit yeah, I, I mean, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I, you could have probably kept on supernatural. Like I said, Carrie got away with it, and, and other ones later on down the road did um, uh, as well and stuff. Uh, like Firestarter, uh, you could argue that one's kind of on that little bit of that same level. That emotion set, set set them off to do bad things to people. Uh, uh, like you know, like and, and they can control things around them uh, and stuff. Um, uh, lev, 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 levitation is just another layer to the many layers that they already started to, to, to do back in that day. I, I, I would call it at that point. I mean, I definitely think you could get away with it, especially with that kind of general audience back then. I don't think they would have given it two thoughts on the matter. They would have been like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like Carrie, but uh, we can see Carrie's boobs. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would have loved to see Carrie's boobs. You know, um, anywho. Uh, I guess that's that's about it. I mean, I think we've tackled everything, and you know, and we've talked to death of this movie. So there you go. Um, so I, I I really enjoyed I, it. Um, I would definitely recommend this. Yeah, uh, I was actually going to ask you. Uh, um, 
uh, one through uh, ten, ten being uh, 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 the highest, one being the lowest, what would you rank this movie? Seven. That's actually kind of funny. That was exactly the number I was going to go with, too. I was actually leaning towards a seven. It's nowhere near like a great or beautiful, like, you know, flawless movie. But it's got a way. It's got enough uh, enjoyment, and entertainment factor, uh, and effects that, for me at least, yeah. I mean, like if I give it a five star scale, I would have, I would have given it a three and a half. You know, like it's, it's a pretty decently made movie. It's, it's pretty good. You know, but it's not <laughs> the greatest, and it's not. Well, it's I, not I it, but it's not bad. You know, and so. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, and especially when you learn more about it, you know, it sounds like it's it's a lot of these people's uh, first go arounds too. Uh, I mean, like you know, as far as yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people their first movies suck. You know, like yeah. this was not a bad first 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 crack for a lot of these people. I mean, if like if I were them personally, I would I would wear this movie as a badge of honor. Uh, to be to be quite frank with you, <laughs> but now I need to own Super Seal as well. You know, Super Seal's down on the list. <laughs> what? I, 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 I was just laughing at uh, Super Seal. I was like, I was like, there you go. That's got to make our list one day. It's like, I don't know. Gonna... I have to figure out a place to put it, like on Quick Review Thursday or something. But Super Seal, I, I don't even know if it's available anywhere. Um, it does not look like it's on Tubi or anything. Um, but I, I really, really badly want to see that movie. So. Super Seal um, movie. Uh, uh, see if that's anywhere to watch. Um, what the fuck? Super Seal on TCM. Turner Classic Movies has Super Seal listed <laughs> on it. Oh, you can watch the full movie on YouTube. Mm. Awesome. Now, I, now I'm like interested. Let me see if this is actually a good video footage of it. It's on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, YouTube has some good ones. Uh, my uh, That one I did a post about a few months ago, uh, Summer Camp Nightmare, one of those ones I liked back, way back in the day. I right. actually got my, I, I actually caught that one uh, like on, on uh, YouTube for free. And uh, that actually was a really good quality. I was I was really surprised. I'm like, you know, it had it had a couple of soft spots uh, occasionally here and there, but it was only for a second or two. And it was usually in, in some of the more wide shots, so it didn't really bother you that much. You kind of get used to that a little. Bit. You do the wide shots, you get a little blurriness sometimes in the background for some some of the wides. Uh, uh, so when you saw that, even though you could tell it was more than just that, it was it, it was something that you can forgive uh, as long as it wasn't a constant, you know. Right, right. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, check out Super Seal on YouTube and check out Mausoleum on Tubi uh, if you haven't watched it yet. Um, also, buy it on Vinegar Syndrome. Um, buy from them because uh, it looks like it's worth it, you know, to to own. Um, or whatnot. It's just like I would buy it if it weren't so close to Christmas right now. So kind of a bad time to to buy gifts, you know, like to myself, you know, or whatever. When I gotta buy gifts for other people, um, but maybe mausoleum would be a good gift for somebody else to have. So feel free to go buy that for someone else. Um, uh, so to let everybody know, uh, 
this show won't be back till March, just like most of the other shows. Going to take a two month break. Uh, then we'll be back. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, Rebecca will be back. Um, but if not, she'll be back um, sometime. I'm guessing. I'm hoping. You know, I like doing. I like doing this with other people. I like having special guests like you, Mike. You know, who I don't normally have. You know, on the show or whatever. Because we even talked about like we do horror film lovers, which is does not do. We're, uh, is not allowed to do 80s or 90s stuff because my 80s and 90s ones are already being done, you know, and stuff. So uh, it's nice to have you on the show like this or, or maybe even 90s horror at some point so that you can want you can review 80s or 90s movies with me. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, those are two of my favorite generations right there, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, there was a, I mean, that, that right there was my, my childhood and my uh, backbone. I mean, so many great movies uh, that I, I, I grew up just loving. And uh, the best part is I can say about the majority of them, at least, uh, most of them still have good playback value. There's definitely a handful. I, 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 I've watched it again. Uh, I'm like, yeah. Doesn't I'm hold a, up. Yeah. I, I don't know why I thought this was so great back in the day <laughs> because uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> and a lot of that sometimes stems through what the world is like now. You know, the world is so different. Um, we're not the same people we were when we were in the 90s and 80s, even if we were just kids or whatever in the 80s and 90s, you know, like or so, you know, it um, it uh, in a way, it's just it, it, the idea is that we are. Um, we we live this life right now that is sort of bigger in scope, you know, and stuff. And like because we have the internet and we have uh YouTube and we have all these resources and everything, there are things that people want to get across that is completely different from the generation that we grew up on, you know. And some oh. of those movies don't hold up. True. For me, I think a lot of it is just like, I think it was the stories. I guess for me, being a kid, a simpler time, entertaining me, just, uh, it didn't take much. Like, you know, if you have a couple of cool like effect scenes or a couple of good laugh out loud kind of quick moments, more likely, I already love the movie. Uh, and like, you know, without even really paying attention to much. Once I saw Elsie, like, shows over. And I was like, I love this movie. You know, like, they could have made a whole comedy with Elsie and I would have watched it. You know, like a spinoff comedy of her character could go into different people's houses that she does be, becomes a, like a maid for or whatever, you know, and stuff. That would be to me. That would be fun. She could have had her own TV show where she played Elsie the maid, and I would have been a okay with it. Unfortunately, yeah. this movie didn't do that well. Yeah, I mean. I could see why too. I mean, given that time frame, like I said that was like you know. I mean, you were you were uh, <coughs> you were at that point you were very much transitioning into that A style horror uh, gem genre. Uh, you know, you you were getting out of that seventies style, you going more into that eighties style. Um, and it definitely showed on that one too, because like you know, a lot of cinematography had that more of that seventies style uh, horror tone to it, but. 
the outfits, uh, definitely the scripts and the writing in it. It, it definitely felt more of a eighties uh, horror kind of tone uh, a movie at that point. So it kind of it's a little bit the best of both worlds on that one. I mean, a lot of great classics uh, like horror movies came out out of the seventies too. I mean. Our first Halloween movie was in the seventies. Uh, even even before that, uh, uh, the original Black Christmas. Um, um, I believe uh, When a Stranger Calls was also in the seventies. Mm. Mm. Interesting. By the way, you can, um, if you want to, people, if you're interested, the mausoleum was at uh, two hundred four North Evergreen Avenue in Los Angeles, and it's at the Evergreen Cemetery. So. Um, that was a really nice cemetery, by the way. Very big um, cemetery. So, you know, it was nice. And that house they had, the one that she inherited and everything from her childhood, that was fucking nice. Like, very well done, put together. Like, I enjoyed this movie. Like, I just thought everything did did well, you know. Um, okay. I mean, story-wise, there's some issues, but, you know, that's yep. whatever, you know. Yep. Well, I mean, it's, it's like I said. I mean, I think if they uh, just really put their foot down and just set set their mind on one single direction to take this film, I think it would have been a solid across the board. And it probably would have gone up another point for me. I probably would have brought it up to at least an eight, uh, you know, maybe even a, a eight and a half at, at that point. Because nice. I, mean, I mean, it had all the charm you'd want in an eighties uh, horror movie. You know, great makeup, great kills. You you did get uh, like you know the typical eighties uh, nudity that you you you're accustomed to seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I mean, like like it checked all the boxes. I think the problem though was it went to try to check too many boxes instead of just focusing on the core ones that you really needed. Which they, which you know, in my opinion, for the most part, they 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 did check all those boxes, but I think they got too ambitious to try to check more than they really needed to. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Michael. And uh, if uh, Rebecca's not back, I'm sure I'll get you or Madeline or both on the show at some point to do do this stuff again. So, um, everybody else, uh, join in, join me in March, where we will be back again. With I have no idea what. Have, like there's nothing set yet that in fact when i when i hit up michael i didn't even have an idea really like you know so i just kind of looked something up quickly and was like let's do this one it looks cool you know and it could have been shit you know so thank god it wasn't oh no like just said no that was actually a, a, a very fun find man yep so everybody go check it out until then everybody bye bye guys Thank you.